0: I'm Kat Murthy, and welcome to the Cato Institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, You are at Cato Digital, an ongoing series of events highlighting the intersection of tech, social media, and the ideas of liberty. Tonight we're going to be talking about Burning Man, and I'm hoping that you're going to enjoy this discussion. Uh, We've got a really cool panel here today with a lot of interesting ideas. So for just one week every year... Roughly 70,000 people congregate in the Nevada desert to create Black Rock City, a temporary community that is home to Burning Man. Founded in 1986, Burning Man's organizers bill it as an annual experiment in temporary community dedicated to radical self-expression and radical self-reliance. Because cash exchanges and, to some extent, the barter system are largely banned in Black Rock City, Burning Man is often viewed as an anti-capitalist community that's very against the ideas of libertarianism. However, as a voluntary community driven by freedom of association, self-governance, non-violent dispute mediation, and emergent order, Burning Man is in many different ways somewhat of an example of modern libertopia. So our guests tonight, all of whom have been to Burning Man and none of whom fall anywhere along the progressive side of uh, of the uh, political spectrum are going to be looking at Burning Man through a libertarian lens. And we're hoping to take away some interesting lessons about what it means to have a libertarian society in a modern world. Our first guest tonight is Grover Norquist. Grover is the president and founder of Americans for Tax Reform, a taxpayer advocacy group working to limit the size and cost of government. You can find him on Twitter as at Grover So, Grover, you somewhat controversially first attended and then wrote about Burning Man um, in 2014. And you've attended several times since. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences there?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, Larry Harvey and some of the folks uh, who helped organize uh, Burning Man uh, came to D.C. because the uh, federal government was messing with them. Again, uh, and there was some concern about Bureau of Land Management and the Park Services um, constantly. I think the nice way of saying it's extorting money out of Burning Man, uh, and uh, somebody suggested he talk to us and perhaps we could yell at the government. Uh, and he, in, in that conversation, he said, "Well, you know, you should come out." And my wife and I said, "Absolutely," but the year. That he asked us to Burning Man and the Republican uh, National Convention were the same week, um, and I tried to see if there's any way to change that, but there wasn't at that point. Um, Not a lot of
0: overlap,
1: so I didn't. I wasn't able to make that, but uh, there actually was a couple years later when 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 the stars aligned and we were able to get out to uh, to join Burning Man. There was some sort of San Francisco left-wing whining that somehow it was, there was some rule against having a Republican or a conservative or a libertarian show up there. Um, but I, I thought the leadership of Burning Man was quite clear. They said, these idiots don't understand that radical inclusion is like rule number one. And uh, so they're missing what Burning Man's about. Most of the people who whined actually weren't part of Burning Man. They, they sort of assumed it was Woodstock. Um, and... Uh, didn't really have any sense of what it was. So I, f- I found nothing except uh, uh, interest and uh, uh, welcoming uh, the, the whole thing all the way through. I've been for four years uh, in a row. i working on getting my wife to allow her two daughters to come that are uh, eight and nine. So that's, that's this year's project.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, I'd like to poke a little bit more into that in a minute, but. Uh, First, I'd like to introduce Mark Lutter. Um, Mark is the president and founder of the Institute for Innovative Governance, a think tank and incubator that advocates for um, and helps develop innovative government zones. You can find him on Twitter as at Mark Lutter. So Mark, what is an innovative governance zone and how does your research in that area tie to Burning Man?
2: Sure, so... Innovative governance zones are semi-autonomous jurisdictions that have an independent governing body. And classic examples include places like Shenzhen, Dubai, uh, Paul Romer's charter cities. And we can think of Burning Man to an extent as having an independent governing system. You go to Burning Man and the rules are radically different from what you would experience in everyday life. And so, for example... You cannot exchange, and so it's not just no money, but there is no barter. And so you have to bring everything that you are going to use for the week. If you run out of water, it's tough luck, unless, because there's a gift economy, your neighbor is feeling very generous and gives you some water. And so by creating this different set of rules within which people interact, you end up with a very different type of social infrastructure and experience than you would in the default world. And more broadly, this relates to how we can see some of these experiments with innovative governance zones unfold, because by creating areas with different sets of rules, with different sets of governance, and with that autonomy, they can create that that social infrastructure to achieve economic growth, to achieve technological innovation, to to create these new combinations that we might not otherwise uh, be familiar with. And I'd also just briefly like to mention, I met Grover on his first year. We were in a bed in a car, like a bumblebee. Yes,
1: ah, the bumblebee car. Yes, it
2: was a great car. Um, It was. It's the it's the most comfortable car on the playa. And so I'll end there. (laughs)
0: It's the bumblebee car. I don't know if you'll be able to measure up to that. But um, up next we have (laughs) right. (laughs) Yes. Up next we have Robert Mariani. Uh, Robert is a freelance journalist and a regular contributor at the loose and editor of Jacobite Magazine, a publication that features articles on culture, politics, and philosophy with a focus on exit, that is, building alternatives to systems rather than trying to lobby within them. And you can find him on Twitter as at Robert underscore Mariani. So Robert... Does Burning Man represent an alternative society to you? One that might present an exit to the normal world, normal society? Or is it, Mark called it, the default society? Sure.
3: Um, and I, I think what uh, Grover just said now is very important that, you know, the there's this sort of left-wing, I don't know what you want to call it, superstition, that uh, I think it's mostly non-Burners who think that it's like some sort of left-wing event. It's like... Uh, uh, but it's not Woodstock and it's very important that it isn't Woodstock. And it's preci- it precisely isn't Woodstock because the whole point of Woodstock was trying to change the world. And trying to change the world's a political activity. Um, you're applying sort of activist energy to to lobby within the system of the world and hope that you know you appeal to the sensibilities of those people that are in charge. Um, Burning Man's not like that at all. Um, and I think that's why it's good. It it um, and that's pretty much the only way I think, you know, the tenet of radical inclusion could maybe not be totally uh, uh, achieved, but, you know, approached. It can be an aspirational thing. Um, you know, uh, I was instructed not to talk about God here, but I'm going to have to make you all uncomfortable <laughs> for a second. Um, there's, a quote by, there's a quote by, I forget whose, whose name it was, and it says, the point of the church isn't to, you know, reform itself to become like the world, and it's not even to change the world. It's to create an alternative world. <laughs> and I think the alternative world the Burning Man is creating is sort of a little peek into uh, maybe the best thing that a, you know might map onto a post-scarcity society, and you know this might you know to people who aren't really familiar with the phenomenon, this might this might seem like something that's a little like weird or scary, like some kind of brave new world scenario where everyone like VR porn or something like that, where everyone's engaging in hedonism all day, um, but that, that's not exactly what it's like, uh, you know. Um, So I think the hopeful little spark in that is at at, at sort of the ground zero, you know, at where where, uh, society is, the end of history, where society is flowing, when you take away scarcity and when you take away sort of uh, social rules, which, you know, a lot of them don't really exist in Burning Man, um, people want to organize in warm communities. They want to organize in ways where they have obligations to one another. You know, in. I think the artificial sort of survival situation that's imposed, you don't have to go to a desert, but everyone is going to a desert. It's, a really, it's really hot, it's dry, you know, it, it kind of sucks. And the, the purpose of this is, you know, in my opinion, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, um, to force people, you know, to, to have obligations and responsibilities to one another. You know, we cook together, we, we work together, you know, our shade structure's torn down by a thirty-five mile an hour, you know, sandstorm. It's like, okay, shit. What do we do now? Um, and so we, you know, it's just like maybe how communities were three hundred years ago. Uh, and so there's something kind of atavistic or even reactionary about it in that sense.
0: Yeah, oh, that's quite interesting. Um, and then, last but not least, we have Jeremy Tunnel. Jeremy was a co-founder of ThumbTech um, Inc. An engineer by training and with a startup background. Jeremy supervised the building and uh, of a sixty-person camp um, at Burning Man, and so you can find him on Twitter as at Jeremy Tunnel. That's with two L's. And <laughs> Twitter, he doesn't Twitter though, um, <laughs> but he does have one. I do have one,
3: <laughs> just so nobody else. The, can the have three it. of us from the same camp together, by the way. <laughs> Mark and These Jeremy, three,
0: not me. Um, <laughs> so Jeremy, you look at Burning Man as really only an engineer could um, as an aspirational event, which in temporarily suspending reality allows us to try out or test out various libertarian ideals about society. Can you elaborate a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, um, I think, uh, I, don't, I don't think that Burning Man is particularly libertarian at its core, but I think there's a lot of libertarian things to learn from it. Um, I, I don't want to oversell it as a petri dish to figure out what, libertarians, what libertarian ideas work and what libertarian ideas don't work. I think um, I think that the ideas that uh, that you you can tell whether they're going to work with a really short testing time. Uh, I think it's a great place. Um, so I mean, some examples of what that might be. Uh, The Rangers. Uh, We'll talk about the Rangers a little bit later. The Rangers are an awesome idea. I would love to... What are the Rangers? Uh, So the Rangers are a volunteer force of mediators who walk around and try to prevent problems. So they basically take the place of what police would do normally. And what's so great about the Rangers is they're just burners like everybody else. And so it's very hard when people have problems and maybe these problems involve things that they wouldn't wanna share with the police, you can go find a, uh, a ranger and you know that the ranger is gonna be on your side, you know that you, know, you might not have to get in trouble. Um, I think uh, having that absence of the state coercion involved is really helpful. Um, something that also that I think is important that I care about um drug policy you anybody who goes to burning man and knows what's going on at at any point half of the city may be on drugs and i think uh i think any i mean anybody that goes there and looks at what's happening and sees the complete lack of violence and all of these things that people promise is just going to come around the corner if if we legalize drugs. Um, it's it's just a it's an object lesson that that all of these things we're afraid of are are they just don't happen in real life. I think there's probably more violence in the bar district in Kansas City on a Friday night <laughs> than the entire time of Burning Man. Um, and I, I, I know we're supposed to be quick. Um, I'll just say that there's, there's some things that I think Burning Man is not good at figuring out. Um, and just one example is like uh, saying, you know, is, the, is this gifting thing um, or the idea of a universal basic income, can we look at Burning Man and try to figure out whether this thing is going to work long-term? Well, look, I mean, this is a bunch of people that are together for a week in the desert, People act differently after you've been together for a week versus a month or three months or you're forced to live next to these people for the rest of your life. I think behaviors are very different, so...
0: So I, I actually do want to talk a little bit more about the kinds of people who go to Burning Man. But before I do, as a point of order, I, since I saw a lot more people coming in, I just want to remind everyone that the hashtag for tonight is, as always, Kato Digital, and you can use it to engage in the conversation online. And for everyone who's watching um, on one of our various live streams, you can also tweet in questions that way, and I'll be looking for them later on tonight. Um, so with that aside... Um, I'm curious. Uh, One of the things that we talked about in the green room was the selection bias. Um, You know, not everyone goes to Burning Man. And um, how how does that impact this kind of society? I mean, it is obviously um, there's a lottery. It's expensive to get there. It's far. You have to go. I mean, like, what what role is that playing?
1: Well, first of all, you have to get to... This place, a couple hours, well, depending on traffic, several hours out of uh, Reno, uh, and it, it, there's a cost involved, and you've got to bring all your uh, food and so on and mm-hmm. whatnot. Uh, I mean, this is one of the reasons it wasn't Woodstock. Woodstock was a bunch of twenty-year-olds who forgot to bring food, gasoline, uh, porta potties, and got bailed out by a bunch of bourgeois farmers and national guardsmen um, who are actually adults and took care of things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so the selection is you've got to be prepared and you've got to have thought it through and what you're going to do. Um, and and, and part of the selection is that it's, it's more grown up.
5: Yeah.
1: And people are told, you know, if you have any idea how people tell you, ahead time, you better bring all this stuff and you better bring lip balm and you better, there's a sun and it's like really, it gets cold at night and it gets very hot during the day and sometimes it rains and sometimes it has wind. Uh, and you just have to be ready for a lot of different things. So people don't go if they don't think they're up for that. And they, I don't think very many people show up completely unprepared. So that's that, what I was going to ask. What happens would, if someone Woodstock, does show up unprepared? Does oh, someone will take you under their arm. But uh. yeah.
2: So briefly, I before going into that interesting point, I'd like to dispute Jeremy's contention that 50% of the people are on drugs. I would guess it's... Hyperbole, hyperbole. 33%. But. <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs>
2: um, but to... give it a moment? Build on um, Grover's point. I mean, this is, uh, in my opinion, as an economist, one of the very interesting things about uh, Burning Man in that there is, right, it, it's a gift economy, and so you're supposed to take care of people in, in, in need. And so if you see somebody who forgot their water and is wandering around in the desert, right, you give them some water, And so this this creates this tricky balance where you want to be able to help people, but then you want to make sure that there aren't a lot of freeloaders who are just relying on the work of of others. And there's this um, legend at Burning Man where somebody basically shows up with nothing but the clothes on his back, and manages to survive a week uh, eating, sleeping, uh, uh drinking off off of other people and it 's in one way sort of heartwarming rendition of the community in that it's able to welcome people in like that in another this person is is i mean to, to, to a certain extent a parasite basically freeloading on on the work of everyone else and that I think draws in this this context of social norms and how do you basically balance these differing forces to get the type of culture that Um, emerges in Burning Man. And to the larger point of what does that have to do with the selection bias, I mean, the average Burner is probably reasonably well-educated, reasonably intelligent, and they have these bourgeois social values that generally allows them to create some of these fantastic camps, fantastic pieces of art in the desert that allows them to to keep the community together better than a, a community that might not have had those social values out in, in the default world. Yeah, uh,
3: Burning Man works. I mean, you know, one of the tenets, like we said before, is radical inclusion. I think that's what it's, how it's written out. But uh, it's because before that, there's exclusion, not in sort of the mean, you know, weird sense, but like, you know, there's a certain type of person that wants to go to Burning Man. And I'd be surprised, if you know, 50% of them were from the Bay Area, and most of those people worked in tech. Um, and, you know, it's always been that way. It started in San Francisco back in the late 80s, doing something on the beach, and they got, you know, the cops showed up and they had to find somewhere else. Um, and, you know, so it, 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 it's already like being, you already kind of know each other because it's it's all, you know, without some exceptions, it's all kind of people who are already in the same wavelength. It's people who are like kind of okay with the things that are like going on, in, you know, in plain sight, because if they weren't okay with it, they you know, they wouldn't come. Um, and... You know that means that it's kind of like you know giving some some you know poor sap who 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 didn't prepare you know giving a helping hand is kind of like you know giving your cousin a place to sleep. Um, <laughs> it would be much different if you know the seventy thousand people in Black Rock City were randomly selected from around the world. That would be like that, who, who, Jesus Christ. It'd be terrible. Um, but so you know the the fact that there already is some kind of exclusion or some kind of you know uh, self segregation is what allows this in any community to work.
4: So I, I think the, like, the, the question I think that's important is, like what, ki- what is the mechanism of self-selection? And I think the, there's a lot of different kinds of people that come, but I think the one thing that they have in common is that they're willing to set, to set aside their assumptions about things. And so the way I would explain it to somebody is you're standing there at Burning Man and this guy comes up to you and he says, I'm a saber-toothed tiger, right? And like in the normal world, you would look at this guy and you would be like, this guy's crazy, I'm out of here. But (laughs) at Burning Man, you say, yes, of course you're a saber-toothed tiger. Tell me about what it's like to be a saber-toothed tiger, right? And so, so I think the to me this is what ties everybody together is you're willing to go and you're willing to say i have no judgments i have no assumptions and i am going to take what you tell me and i'm going to run with it and we're going to see where we get to
5: yeah
0: that's that's really deep so it's come up a couple times let's talk a little bit about the gift economy what is the gift economy does it work is it antithetical to free market capitalism, and could it exist in a vacuum, or can it only exist because it is in this microcosm of Burning Man that's coming from a capitalist society outside of that?
1: When I heard about it, I thought it was—I thought you're talking about barter. You can't buy anything; it's a gift economy. So bring stuff, and I—I I thought you were supposed to barter with what you brought. Um, I brought a whole bunch of Cuban cigars, which I thought were would be interesting, but not interest the feds. Um, and it, it's not that at all. You don't barter things, but it's- You're you, not allowed
0: to barter, if I understand correctly, right? I know. that or
1: it's frowned upon. Okay, there are I mean, rules. You're not supposed to do a lot of things, but it's- No like, one- No, nobody's trading these
3: things. <laughs> no one's gonna come, you but, know, knock on your door if you barter. It's like, <laughs>
6: there's
3: been a report of bartering here.
1: Can I have one of your cigars? Um, <laughs> but you know, people bring things that they share. I mean, people do bring, Stuff like little flashlights, because some people forgot to bring their flashlights, um, or other things that they share, or a lot of the camps set up and set up drinks or food for people who just come by, and that's their gift. Other people love, do art. So it's, it's, it's more sharing something that, you're, that you've got and a little, it's not barter. And I, it, a lot of people think that gifting economy means a barter, but it's not it.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: No, I I, th- I think that, uh, I think giving it a name gives it way more importance than it really is. I, I think it's really just be hospitable. Yeah. And like, we're all there and bring something that people would enjoy and share it. And and I remember, man, uh, I had been there. I mean, I I was building our camp, so I had come in on the truck. So I had been in the middle of the desert without anything cold to drink for like, 10 days and I was riding down the road and this guy had an ice cold lacroix and I was like this is the greatest thing I've ever seen you know and like he knew it was the greatest thing that I'd ever seen and like just that is va- it was it was great for me it was awesome for him i think that's just the principle here just like be nice and be hospitable calling it a gifting economy really gives it
3: more um,
0: so what you're saying is it's not so much an economic system as it is like a set of norms. Sure.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, when I, when I bring a case of beer and go, <laughs> hang over, go hang out over at a friend's house, it's not a gift economy. It's just like <laughs> we, there, there's a degree of trust between us. and I'm not going to be like, all right, that's a 169, please Venmo on me. It's like <laughs> I, I get utility out of like, you know, hey, I'm bringing something for other people.
2: So, so I, I want to, I think everybody is... Uh, no, go ahead. Underplaying, sorry. <laughs> the 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 awesomeness of the gift economy.
3: No, it's awesome. Um, I but made, I mean, so uh, it's me. It's just uh, it's me bringing beer over like at a bigger magnitude.
2: Sure. Wait,
0: what is the awesomeness? Tell so, us about the awesomeness.
2: Yeah, I was gonna tell a story. So this is actually the story I told the first time I met Grover. Um, he gave me a horrified look, and <laughs> so I right I I met Grover in the bed in the B car, and I tried to tell a story that would sort of capture the light and the the fun of Burning Man. And what happened was one morning, I was uh, walking to the bathrooms at maybe 10 a.m. This very attractive naked woman walks up to me and says, do you want bacon? And so I, I look at her and I'm like, sure. And then she takes me to a food cart that has a bunch of bacon on it. It's raw bacon and you have to cook it. But before you cook it, you get naked. And so, all right, uh, uh, okay. So take off the clothes, and then you cook the bacon like this to, to avoid some of the grease splatters.
3: Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, sorry. And, and,
2: and I think, right, but the, the idea is people the story. Right, People come and they say, I'm going to go on vacation for a week. What am I going to do? I'm going to set up a food cart and give bacon to people if they get naked. There's dozens of coffee shops around the cities around the city where you can sit down and have a cup of coffee and it's people who think, all right, what do I want to do at Burning Man for, for my vacation? I know, I want to be a barista. And right, it, it, it brings together this just incredible sense of, I think, wonder and, and astonishment in, in how it, it creates this, this community that you have these things that are, are presented in an absurd manner that you might not otherwise expect.
0: Okay, so while we're talking about this not-economic system, is Burning Man an example of a post-scarcity
3: economy? Uh, I mean, I use that as a sort of metaphor. It's the metaphor breaks down as soon as you scrutinize it. Because um, obviously... <laughs> convincing. Well, no, I mean, no. I, I, the point I made was that, you know, the behavior is what it might look like in a post-scarcity uh, economy. In the sense that you know, um, if, you know the expression, you know, X like there's no tomorrow." Well, there's literally no tomorrow. There's no next week at Burning Man. It's going to be, you know, bare desert again. So, you know, all the work happens before and after. You know, all all the real work, all the real inputs happen at that point. Um, but I mean, obviously, there's scarcity. Look at
0: it as a bubble. Yeah.
3: Sure. Yeah. It's it's a little you know a little bubble, a little virtual machine, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, you know, uh, and. I think that can tell us interesting things, how, how people, like I said, how people choose to organize themselves without normal constraints. Well, obviously, constraints exist in the real world. You know, I think they're kind of suspended at Burning Man. Um, so, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I, th-
3: I think there is scarcity, though. Um, I, I'm
4: run out of I graham
0: crackers. So I
1: mean, yeah. Yeah, I agree. There are no more graham crackers because right. there's no yeah. Walmart. Yeah. You, know, the, the, you can't go, oh, you know, I need this. I'll go get it, which is what you'd... You walk down the street and... Hey, you, you better bring your medicine or whatever, you know, your, your, whatever you want, you better bring it because you can't just go to Walmart or the grocery store and get it.
4: Well, this this is an ongoing tension with the gifting economy because every, you know, uh, the year before I came on the bus and so you I, all I could bring was what I could carry. Mm-hmm. And so you end up there and you have this thing called radical self-reliance. So, like, you have to make sure that you have enough stuff to get you through the time you're going to be there. But at the same time, you're trying to do this gifting thing and you're trying to juggle them. And it's a little bit of of a running joke that everybody... Uh, at the beginning, doesn't really follow the whole gifting economy because everybody's afraid of running out of things because uh, yeah. nobody wants to run out of sunscreen or like whatever, right? But as the week goes on, everybody gets more and more generous as you realize that now these things are not things that you might need, and they but go they're down things in value, that you have yeah. to drag out of there when you're leaving. <laughs> so um, it's,
0: that's quite interesting. Uh, so we've Kind of touched upon these a few times, but Burning Man's ruled by a set of ten guiding principles, as they call it, uh, and a couple of these we've already talked about: radical self-reliance, gift economy. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that and how a libertarian might interpret these principles?
1: I think they're all largely like it. It's a vo- because the whole thing's voluntary. That makes it kind of libertarian. I mean, you you, you're, you buy in, you you join. Um, but I, I think the whole ethos is perfectly acceptable. That uh, the comment that one of the leaders had when some left wing winger said that I shouldn't be allowed to go to Burning Man because I was conservative. He said, "Look, we're Eisenhower Republicans. We don't care what you do as long as you don't scare the horses. You know, just, just <laughs> um, you know, this, this, we want not to tell people what to do." And they, Burning Man has very few rules, and the ones they have are slightly fluid. Um, and it's not hard-edged rules. So it's, I think it's, it's because you have a complex society, because you have 70,000 very, very different people. I mean, they may all be open to new ideas, but they're in very different ways. Uh, you also have different camps. I don't know if people... It's not everybody goes and wears boa, you know, weird outfits and so on. There are different camps. as a children's camp, that, you know, where, where families and, and small kids uh, hang out. There are camps that do music the whole time. There, you know, camps that have all sorts of different themes. Uh, so there are subgroups and subcommunities that people bring together. Um,
0: so let's actually, let's actually talk about that for a minute. Uh, all the different camps. It's almost as if there's several individual communities within this larger yeah opt-in community, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And and uh, I think some of the stuff. Look, I think one of the myths is that there's large quantities of drugs. There's, it's there if you, if you bring it. Um, and not everybody's naked. So, because uh, when you hear about it, you go and check it online, everybody's naked, they're dressed funny. Um, and That's because those are the ones pick. you take pictures of, if you've got a camera, and you don't take pictures of the people who wear desert gear. Uh, so I, I went and got weird stuff to wear the first year, along with desert gear, and then I just ended up wearing the desert gear. Because so, it's a desert. Um, and that's the, that's the proper way to dress to not get a sunburn and not freeze uh, uh, but the, the one of a hundred people you walk by is not wearing all of their clothes I don't know if somebody wants to argue about that percentage but um, I may not have know. my wife makes fun of me well, all the time but particularly because we're walking down the road and somebody was on... Um, uh, rollerblading back and forth and she goes for crying out loud I said you're right that guy's not wearing knee pads that's not safe <laughs> and she said he's not wearing anything uh, which was also true but I, I thought you could really hurt yourself there if you're not careful um, so there's there's a, you know some but it's not overwhelming and uh, I think if that's what you saw then you've you know, <laughs> there were naked people and it then that's what you were looking for as opposed to being surrounded by it. There's lots right. of different yeah, people can, doing lots can of different find things.
0: Your yeah. community within that.
1: Each year I go I speak to the psychedelic drug association people because they were kind enough to invite me the first time I spoke and I go out to this place for a week and there's like nothing on your schedule. You have a week and there's like <laughs> there's no schedule. What do I do? There's nothing written down. I'm not supposed to be anywhere. So Friday night, 7 o'clock, I'm going to be speaking to this group. I felt much more secure in the whole project. (laughs) I I now had something that I was supposed to be doing. Um, And they they have 100, 150 people get together. A series of lectures that they uh, do. I thought it was a great group. They they did offer me an open can of Coke, which I passed on. But otherwise... (laughs) It was like talking to the local Kiwanis club. Everybody was...
6: uh.
0: (laughs) So uh, I actually want to dig into something you were talking about earlier. Um, So the general economic understanding is that norms can only be self-sustaining in small, homogenous societies. Um, And Burning Man might be homogenous. We've kind of talked about that a little bit, Uh, whether it is or it isn't. It sounds like from what Grover's saying, not as much. But it's not small. It's um, about 70,000 people in the desert. And these are people who largely don't know each other, and many of whom, uh, what, like 30% are at Burning Man for the first time. How are they able to maintain these norms?
2: And do they? Uh, in, in general, yes. And so I, I think that's, to me, one of the, the most fascinating aspects of Burning Man in that in small homogeneous societies, everybody knows each other, so if there's a, a defector in the group, it's easy to identify that defector and then punish them accordingly. In, in large societies or in non-homogeneous societies, because it's difficult to identify defectors and, and punish them according to the level of their defection, right? there's the opportunity for greater defection. And this is, brings us back to a, an earlier point, right? The, the whole myth of the person who shows up with nothing but the clothes on their back, and in some sense, they're a defector to to, to society. And so the interesting part is, in the Burning Man context, the common economic wisdom is proven wrong, in that there's a large, large homogeneous society that is successfully able to sustain these very onerous norms. And so, for example, one of the norms is leave no trace, which means that, you need to bring out any gray water you bring in. So when you're brushing your teeth, you can't spit on the playa. You have to spit in a, in a container, and you bring that container out, or in a bucket, and you bring that bucket out, right? And so the fact that people are going through these relatively high costs in order to maintain the norms, even though there isn't a, necessarily a, a, a third party that's watching them, is fascinating. And so how they're sustained, it's, it's several things. One, there's a very strong culture. And so virgins are looked after and showed the ropes by older burners. They're showed, all right, this is what you're allowed to do, this is what you're not allowed to do. And there's a, a, a strong ethic of, right, you're, you're new in the camp, you're first time burning, this is what is okay, this is what's not okay. Two, you have the camps. And so the camps, right, big theme camps tend to dominate Burning Man. And these big theme camps might have turnover every year, but they have leadership that's been burning for years, they have people who've been, who've been burning for years, and these camps serve as a, as a mechanism to help and, and to sustain these norms. And so, right, I think understanding that, that norm selection, the norm sustaining, is, is important in understanding the, the institutional context of, of Burning Man.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and also the fact that, I mean, in any you know, any group you want to join, any club you want to join. And, you know, in the sense Burning Man kind of is that. You have to get a ticket and you have to go with people, find a camp. I mean, you don't want to piss off the other club members. Like, shame is a powerful tool. And even, you know, subverbal shame, like, everyone can tell if, like, you know, they, you know, made a misfire. Um, And, you know, if you ask someone, it's like, hey, all right, uh, how about you look for moop, which is matter out of place, you know, like a cigarette butt that might be on the desert floor. Um, they'll, they'll probably be like, yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't, no one wants to be seen as the freeloader. So, and it's kind of enjoyable, enjoyable to participate as well, you know.
6: Right,
0: I, I think that's kind of an interesting point about the parable you are talking about, about the person who shows up with nothing, right, the whole time. Maybe they can do that one year, no. but are they going to be invited back into a camp next year? Or are people going to want to help them out if they kept coming back every year? Wouldn't at some point
4: people say no? Yeah. Well, right? you can come without a camp. So, they you can so you literally go. just show up, and if you have a ticket, there's a place that you can pitch your tent, or if you didn't bring a tent, you can sleep in the dust or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's yes, gonna kind of suck. But. Absolutely possible.
1: The <laughs> walk in section.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Okay. So, it's kind of interesting. Um, I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier. Uh, you brought up the Rangers. So let's talk about that a little bit. They're a sort of volunteer private police force, right?
4: I wouldn't say police. Yeah,
2: they
0: would okay. take great yeah. offense
4: to that. They would take
5: great offense
0: to that. Okay, <laughs> tell me more. Tell me about the Rangers.
4: Well, uh, I mean, just just a, a very small story to illustrate. So I was uh, I was riding around. I stopped. We were looking for something. And there was this guy that was laying down, clearly dehydrated, a little bit delirious, right? And he was suspicious. And, and, um, so somebody went and got a ranger and the ranger comes over and I'm, I'm far enough away not to be involved, but I'm kind of listening to see how they go about this because I didn't have a lot of experience. And, you know, I mean, uh, one, uh, one of the lines is, uh, Hey man, you know, I'm, I'm not the police. I'm not the authorities. I'm not going to do anything if you don't want to. I'm a burner just like you. And I think, that was pretty powerful. I, I think the guy the guy was not in the mood to trust anyone at that point. And uh, if the police had showed up, I don't think things would have gone very well. Probably not. But, uh, but you know, it took some time. They got him some water. And, and the ranger was like, all right, hey, you know, let's... Uh, Let's just go sit over here in the shade, right? It's hot out here. Let's go sit. We'll just talk, whatever. I mean, you know, it was really more mediation and counseling and um, crisis mitigation and that kind of thing. So, I I mean, I, I hesitate. I know they wouldn't like it, and I would hesitate to use the word police or even a replacement for police.
0: But is there any sort of enforcement mechanism? Let's say that I show up at Burning Man... And I start selling stuff. It's like, who does something about that?
4: Well, that's just shame, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: it's just the shame mechanism. You
4: know
3: gonna, I don't think anyone's gonna drag you away for that. But,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think going, going, but they're not gonna buy it.
2: Going back to the Rangers, because they're they're extremely interesting. They're they're all volunteer. They have no actual authority, <clears throat> right? They get trained and they basically put on these magic jackets that give them authority, but they have no like legal arresting powers. they they have none of that. And so that gives them this, this sense of, of moral authority to some extent, which I think is a valuable lesson for <clears throat> policing in these communities because, as, as Jeremy's example illustrates, there's this greater degree of trust that allows them to enter situations that if there is a authority figure, that trust might not exist. But because it's this this ranger that has this sort of community-level figure, it's able to occur. And so... One example is, uh, I guess, two years ago, was it? Or maybe three? Our camp was placed next to this sound camp. And this sound camp used to be on Esplanade, which is uh, the, the road that faces the playa, but now it was in suburbia. And so basically, they would play music, and some nights it would be so loud, the, the trailers in our camp would be shaking. And right, this is a place where you don't operate on a lot of sleep, so some people in our camp were getting very upset because there was music playing all night, and you couldn't sleep or, or really even use the camp or be comfortable in the camp. And so obviously, this is a challenge for our camp, but then it's a challenge for the the music camp, the sound camp too, because they spent all this time, all this energy setting this up. they want to have great parties, they want to bring everybody, they want to share share the fun. And suddenly, right, they, they don't feel good about killing our vibes. And there was a ranger who basically came in, right? And so it's two people who have both spent countless hours and 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 a lot of money. And they're extremely upset and close to yelling at each other. And the ranger effectively just stands there, mediates it. And at the end, both of them say, like, thank you and, and hug the ranger. <laughs> and so that, right creates these 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 social bonds that are i think unique and rare in that by embodying this this level of voluntary authority they're effectively able to to mediate these disputes which might otherwise turn to uh, maybe not violence but a, a lot more anger and resentment
3: yeah um and i I think it's worth noting that you know. it it, it can't be the rangers that are holding everything together. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this isn't an environment that, you know, needs to be held together by anything because, you know, that's kind of the nature of, you know, the selection, the grassroots building. And, uh, you know, and and the fact that there is no centralized authority gives people a different disposition. Because, you know, if, if something, a lot of things like we would do in, you know, the real world, the default world, you know, it's like, all right, who who who's in charge here? Let's go to them and like let's like complain to them. Um, there's someone no to really do that, you know. Who's too. In charge?
0: Is someone in charge? At Burning Man? Yeah. Who's in charge? I, I
3: mean, I don't know is who who is in, who's technically in charge. I have a story. I about guess it's this this. the nonprofit. Let me let me finish. All right. <laughs> um, we'll get back to that. So I mean, you know, when you're when you're you know first year, let's say someone in your camp, let's call her Alice, and she's like a first year person. She's you know. Maybe a little uh, heedless to a lot of things. And then, you know, she went somewhere. She was supposed to be there. And, you know, this happens all the time at Burning Man. It's like, you know, you schedule something that does not happen. Something else happens. Then you do that. (laughs) But, you know, you're worried about this person. You know, everyone's back in the camp. You know, it's, she she doesn't know what she's doing. You know, it's, uh, the whole, the playa looks like, it looks like an optical illusion at night. It's like, you know, twisting and billowing neon everywhere. It's a pretty confusing fact. And so everyone's like, you know, where's Alice? Someone needs to find Alice. And so then it's kind of, you know, it's, it's... Everyone's kind of forced in a situation. It's like, all right, well, it's, it's, it's up to us. Um, and I think that's sort of symbiotic with the fact that there, you know, there are no... The Rangers aren't, you know, they aren't holding everything together. They aren't the authorities. You know, you're your own authority.
2: So I, I think this this is very similar to the point I was trying to be in that the, the role of social norms is very fluid at Burning Man. And so, for example, this year, I was out with some friends. We found uh, a camp with a big tent and swamp coolers in mid-afternoon to try to escape from the heat. And just when we lay down, a fat man in a Speedo with a sledgehammer walks in. And he looks very angry. And he says... Who's in charge here? And, right, I mean, it's Burning Man, so who's in charge? Everybody just sort of looks around awkwardly. Who's in charge here? And I'm like, guys, we should go. We should, we should go. <laughs> who's in charge here? And then one guy who's sitting there is just like, I'm not in charge, but, right, I'll talk to you, man. What's your problem? And the story is that this guy was camped nearby, and somebody stole, had stolen two flags of his... Uh, that represented his dead friends from his camp. And so he was very upset about this. And so he came because he thought that the culprit was in the camp where where we were. And the sledgehammer was for a very reasonable purpose. He wanted to smash people's yurts. Not people, just the yurts. So quite understandable. So we quickly left because this was not a very comfortable situation. (laughs) And we walked outside to try to find an authority figure. And so we find a guy who has a jacket that looks sort of like the rangers, and he has a walkie-talkie. And we figure, okay, he's got a walkie-talkie. That must mean something. <laughs> and we go up to him, and we ask, hey, are you a ranger? No. Okay, well, can you watch that situation? Right? They're talking it out now, but if that sledgehammer starts moving, then the responsibility is on you and he says okay and it's like all right responsibility has been transferred and then we <laughs> went off to our adventure and i think that right that's a fairly unique circumstance but it speaks to the broader context of these right arbitrarily shifting roles where depending on whatever it is and this occurs in real life and one day you're working and another day you're a parent and another day you're 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 a son or daughter but because of the fluidity of Burning Man, it's much more rapid and, and much more abrupt and gives a newfound appreciation for how these social contexts influence uh, how we think about some of these things.
3: Yeah, and a short point I'd want to make related to that is that in a lot of situations in real life, so I, I, back to the community aspect of it, you know, when even with your very close friends, a lot of the times there's not sort of sides of them you see or... Uh, you know, part of them, how, how you see them in certain situations, because you can easily withdraw. It's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going home. Like People, people do that when they're upset. They're like, I'm just going to do something else. Take like well, and go home Sure, yeah. yeah. Home. Um, there's not, I mean, you can withdraw back to your camp, but, you know, once you're there, I guess you can go to another camp. But, I mean, it's hard to easily withdraw from things. So within a week's span, like I said, we worked together, cooked together, you know, it, it wasn't all, it wasn't just like a party all day. Like, you know, some people butted heads. Some people got upset at things. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 you get to know people very well in, in ways that, you know, you know, might take years uh, in the real world.
1: Could I add one thing? Because people tend to think everybody's naked and or they're all wearing outrageous outfits, which kind of in conflict, um, uh, or they're all on, on drugs. One of the th- founders of the group I was talking to him, I said, What's Burning Man like? It, how does it compare to Bohemian Grove, for instance, or something? <laughs> oh, he'd been what to Bohemian, Bohemian Grove. Bohemian Grove is where a bunch of uh, wealthy people from San Francisco go up to hang out in an area with redwood trees. And they have lots of, it's, it's a little bit similar, and there's a lot of art and a lot of uh, music and you know, um, intellectual conversations at these lunches, dinners, and breakfasts. And they, this is the one where they tell you that everybody pees on the trees, okay? I've been there. There's no peeing on the trees. This has not happened. Um, the, the whole time, no peeing on trees at all. Um, so I was going, I thought that was, that's, what, that's all people told you about. When you, they don't wear clothes and they pee on trees. Everyone wear their clothes nobody's we' peed on trees. Um, but his observation, I don't like Bohemian Grove, they drink too much there. Okay. So the, too much for the Burning Man people, their sensibilities, the, the uh, Bohemian Grove. Um, but the other thing... Is there's a great deal of work in Burning Man, there's the radical participation uh, that people talk about. It's not a vacation. You don't just go and you wander around. If you join a camp, you sign up for. You have a uh, job. You have a job. You do like jobs. Work you take turns cooking or you know different things, um, and all of the artwork you see there. I mean, the Burning Man guy can be 30 feet or 80 feet tall. You know, people build this stuff, and the people spend years building. Um, rather uh, large uh, pieces of art, sculpture, made out of wood, and then they burn it down. So to a certain extent, everybody's a 14-year-old teenage boy, but um, at the end, they have a big temple that's a beautiful thing, There's a lot of work done. Somebody built a, uh, a, they didn't quite get it fit. Some of the stuff doesn't get finished. All week, people are working on metalwork and and uh, art and uh, sculptures and so on. It's a great deal of work. It's not bohemian, bohemians don't work, right? It's this work all, Going on, and, and the guys who show up, who want to be rangers, they're kind of working. Um, and pe- the work that people put into those art cars, the, the B car, there's a cat car that, uh, uh, and you can't have a car unless it looks like it's not a car and it's a pirate ship. Uh, <laughs> they have these pirate ships that are based, you know, on flatbed trucks and so on. And the amount of work that goes into this stuff, that people put into it, is very amazing, and uh, part of it is all these guys showing up, look at all the cool stuff, uh, how much work I put into my car or my sculpture, whatever. Uh,
0: it's like a gallery, like a living gallery in a way.
1: Th- there's that and, the, and there's the work of putting the whole thing together. I mean, people come weeks ahead of time to get it built up and then there are weeks afterwards to take it uh, uh, apart. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of work as opposed to yeah. a vacation where you go and you look at stuff and, and it, people participate.
2: So I, I actually, when I have a, one of the things I, I like to think about in sort of conceptualizing how Burning Man is is um, what I think is called a, a potlatch. And I don't remember this super well. It was high school. But the sort of um, northwestern American Indian tradition where after every successful hunting season or they catch a lot of salmon, they would basically have a, a giant feast. And I remember reading about this in high school because they'd eat so much and so much food would go to waste and it wouldn't make any sense. And I was like I remember thinking, what's the, the purpose of this social tradition? It was basically just complete excess. And Burning Man is effectively that times a hundred, right? It's just a a complete celebration of, of absurdity where people put all of this work, all this time and energy into creating these magnificent things that have no clear, immediate social value except for basically the enjoyment of participating and and being part of it.
0: And some of which they then burned out.
1: Yes. Um, it's a lot of burning stuff down. That's
0: that is part of the name, yes. <laughs> yeah. Or the fire.
1: Um, so,
0: so... Grover, when you first wanted to come, there's a lot of controversy around that, and um, of course the the Burning Man community itself, the organizers um, even wrote a blog post on their blog about radical self-inclusion. No, um, sorry, radical inclusiveness. Why uh, you were very much part of the community. Same way, there's a lot of stories that came out from last year's Burning Man. Um, with certain camps, um, I, I guess you'd call it glamps, I don't know, these sort of like very wealthy type of camps being attacked, raided having the electricity cut off, water cut off, that kind of thing. Um, and there was pushback there. So kind of in that space, is Burning Man hostile to libertarians? What about capitalists?
1: No, again, most of the people who seemed to whine um, were not clear, clear that they were part of the burner community. Um, There was chatter, you know, on the internet, people being unhappy that I was going to the point where they said, don't tell anyone where you're camping. Um, And and when I spoke to the uh, Psychedelic Drug Association guys, there was, we thought there was gonna be some sort of demonstration or problem. Somebody brought several hundred little uh, stickers that was the Grover uh, character from Sesame Street with a red slash through it, okay. So, but she don't
0: keep any.
1: Oh, oh my wife got a whole collection of them for the kids. Yeah,
0: um,
1: and uh, you know they put them up on their door when they want my stairway. Uh, but uh, it, 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 whatever that was fizzled as as, as hostile. And what, what I did find both because it, I tweeted two two years before I went. I tweeted, "Who is the idiot who put the Republican <clears throat> National Committee right on top of Burning Man? Is there a time to change this?" Uh, and so you started hearing from people saying, oh, I always go. And then people complained about conservative or libertarian going. Um, a lot of people would come up to me in D.C. and around the country and say, you know, I've been going for years. And mm-hmm. um, let me show you my collection of outrageous clothes I wear. Uh, I can tell you there is some of that.
0: when this event went up on the website, I suddenly got inundated with emails from people saying, I'm a libertarian. I go to Burning Man.
1: Yeah. So there's there's – People don't talk about politics all the time at Burning Man, so you wouldn't necessarily know. Uh, but there's, there's a great deal of libertarian individual participation there.
3: Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I think that I, I think it's useful. I think it's hard to overstate how maybe it's just my camp, but I think this is this is sort of generally true in Burning Man is you know how much it's kind of a you know colony of Silicon Valley, and with it come those sensibilities. Uh, you know, which is somewhere between liberal and libertarian. So uh, I think the litmus test would be, you know, for inc- radical inclusion would be how hostile it is to social conservatives or so- things along those lines. And frankly, it wasn't. You know, I, 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 it was the, the, the theme this the, this past year, 2017, was radical rituals. It was like, all right, you know, spirituality and stuff like that. So, all right. so I brought like, my annotated Bible. I brought, you know, uh, rosary beads. And Mark, in fact, Mark, we were on, uh, on our knees in the desert floor. We were uh, saying Hail Mary's. But anyway, no one thought this was weird. This was like, everyone was like, oh, cool, yeah, all right. Um, and, uh, and that's like, it was definitely more accepting of that kind of thing than I'd say like Washington, D.C. is like go on a date. And I was instructed like not to talk about this stuff, so apparently I talk about it too much. <laughs> but uh, like on, so I guess was, on dates, I, it occasionally comes up and the girls are like, huh, you go to mass? That's kind of weird. Like there was, uh, so it was, it was less, it was more inclusive than, you know, than here in that regard. So, you know. <laughs> That's plus one, you know, points to Burning Man.
4: I I think uh, I would I would go back to my point that Burning Man is aspirational. Uh, I think that there is a realization that nobody's perfect. Everybody's trying to live by the ten principles. You know, nobody lives by the ten principles all the time. Um, I, I, would, I don't think that libertarianism is in any particular danger uh, of being not accepted at Burning Man. I do think that there, that, that other things uh, are, are not as acceptable. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that you, you would be subjected to violence. But, um, you know, I wouldn't want to wear a Make America Great Again hat walking around Burning Man. And look, I mean, you know, that is the that is the aspiration that for, you know, we have this event, and for a week or so, we are radically inclusive. Nobody is left out. Anybody can come as long as they will come and follow our 10 principles. That's the way it's supposed to work. In the real world, it doesn't quite work that way. And, you know, all you can say is... Uh, it's definitely worth going, and it's a great thing, and we can try to do better.
1: Last year I did get uh, from somebody a little button that said, radical inclusion does not, does not cover Trump supporters. So, <laughs> you know, this is... It's not that <laughs> radical, guys.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. I just briefly, your, your question involved openness to libertarians and conservatives, but also the fact that some of these wealthy camps had internal strife. And I would strongly differentiate between the two because there are a lot of um, uh, uh, these wealthy camps where basically right, people pay $10,000, $20,000 to camp and then you have the workers who might get a free ticket and will come set everything up and then cook or act as Sherpas to the people who are, are paying the money. And so this goes against a lot of the norms of Burning Man and oftentimes breeds resentment because you have essentially a, a very clearly delineated caste system where in some of these camps, the, the the wealthy people get sort of wristbands and so they get the food first or, or, or however it works. And and that's what has led to some of these sort of uh, greater instances of, of, I think, what was it? White Rose where they cut the electricity and spilled the water, um, White Ocean. And
3: didn't, uh, I don't know, did Circa get in trouble? I mean, they don't let people into, like, these, you know, bomb-ass theme camps, which you can't really do. So, I mean, and so they cut the power to them. Was that how it worked?
2: Well, this was the, the the story I understood it was as and it's all playa rumor, so I'm not sure my story's better than anybody else's, (laughs) but it was um, basically, it wasn't that they weren't letting people in. It was the disgruntled workers who were probably getting free tickets um, were were very angry because they felt they weren 't being treated right by the people who were paying ten thousand dollars for for the camp uh, and so as a measure of, of vengeance, they decided to uh, cut the power lines and spill the water and
3: and so I, I think this point's worth mentioning, so you know there are rules that there is sort of an enforcement mechanism that isn't that comes in the form of uh, you know, if you violate the rules, you can't come back next year. Like, you are like you have to register your camp. Um, so if, you know, if you if you violate all these tenets, you know, you're either, you know, a slap on the wrist will be you get, you know, much worse real estate at the event, or your campus isn't allowed at all.
0: Great. Well, I'm seeing a lot of questions coming in on Twitter. And uh, as a reminder to those watching online, if you've tuned in later, you can tweet in your questions. And I'm sure some of the folks here also have questions, so I do want to go to that, but... Before I do, I'm going to take the moderator's prerogative and ask one more question here. Um, if there is one thing, and only one thing, about Burning Man society that you could bring to our larger culture, what would it be?
4: Um, you know, I, I, it was the point that I made earlier. I, I find the mindset that sometimes you need to assume that you don't know everything, that... Um, that it's important to get out of your own head and to entertain thoughts from people that believe uh, things that are different than you. Um, you know, I mean, Burning Man does it in a, in a weird way, which I think works quite well, but um, it's just a really important principle, and I, I think, especially today, we could all use to take some time and step back and say... Uh, you know, what What are these people thinking? Um, why would they think what they're thinking? And, and, you know, empathy, I guess, really is the
3: word. Yeah, um, so I, I, what I found, you know, most, you know, when I sort of came in, everyone gets greeted and they say, welcome home. And I was like, what does that mean? Is that some kind of like empty sloganeering? Um, <coughs> And, you know, I'm skeptical of those kinds of things. Uh, and, you know, even my icy heart was melted. Uh, I, and because it was kind of how, like, home was in a younger world, you know? Uh, like, I'm sure some people here are old enough to remember, like, when we, like, talk to our neighbors. Like, ooh, that's kind of weird. I um, talk to my neighbors. Well, all right. <laughs> Good for you. We need more of that. Um, and, you know, Burning Man, your neighbor comes over, or, like, anyone comes over, and it's kind of understood that they're sort of welcome. Um, and so, you know... And more than that, more than the just kind of like, okay, we're going to welcome people for a week, it's the this voluntary retreat back into a situation of living where you have non-dischargeable obligations to other people. You can't withdraw. I mean, you could, but it, it's very hard to withdraw from these obligations you have to other people in this community. And, you know, that's how people used to live, you know. And so uh, I'd say, you know, it's some, maybe something we learn from and take back in a society to like maybe as a bounce back from social atomization.
2: I, I, I see the openness, I guess, radical inclusivity as one of the, the big values that could be applied mm-hmm. to everyday life in that if you walk into a camp, you can start up a stranger with anybody. If, you, if almost anything happens, right, conversation, um, um, friendship is, is very easily found. And this is something that I think is a little bit rare in modern societies. I mean, oftentimes, right, you go to a party and you know one or two people and you spend the entire time at the party just like hanging around the one or two people, you know, talking to them. And at at Burning Man, it's just you, there's this feeling of openness and it doesn't feel weird, doesn't feel awkward. You're not going to get weird looks if you go and talk to to some stranger who's got a cool costume on or who's just standing over in, in another part of the room. And that, that I think, sense of openness and that, that sense of community is, is really fantastic. Uh, for example, every year when I'm waiting for the plane to, to go home, I have to stop myself from putting on Facebook, I love everyone, <laughs> right? I'm like... I want to tell them, but no, Mark, that's weird. Like, don't judge you. No, but it's true, no. And, and, and so that <clears throat> to be able to, to create those feelings, I think, is, is a little bit magical, and that, that inclusivity is, is a big part of it.
1: Yeah, look, there are very few hard and fast rules. There's a culture that's open to people running their own lives and doing what they want, and uh, you're encouraged to, you know, reach out and talk to people, you know, be friendly to everybody, uh, I don't like a lot of rules. I think, you know, cities and states and federal government has too many rules. And you you see that when the government, whether it's the local government in, uh, in and around Black Rock City that, again, around Burning Man, or the federal government, when they touch Burning Man, there's an icky part there. Um, and that, you know, um, I don't know whether it's the difference between black and white and color and in uh, um, *The Wizard of Oz*, or but there's this—you this, don't want to go into that other section where you have to deal with the government guys. Um, so I, I, I just think it's more easygoing. It's more pleasant. Um, people mind their own business, but part of their own business is being pleasant with other people. So it's—you mm-hmm. know—I mean, it's not, they're not living in caves, but. You don't have to, okay, it's at 5 o'clock, it's 7 o'clock, we're all getting up, we're all going to do this now, we're all going to do do, do, do. Yeah. You do what you want to do and find other people who want to do that too. Um.
0: Wonderful. And on that note, do we have any questions from our studio audience? I see a hand raised there. Black shirt? Nope, that's you.
5: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this actually
0: kind of goes off of one. Oh, if you what? could wait for the mic. Oh, that way Hi.
5: folks back home can hear. Um, I'm Monster. Um, Those of you who know me professionally, I'm Kate Bell. Um, (laughs) This kind of goes off of what Grover was just saying, and I just wanted to expand on it a little bit. So for people who don't know, Burning Man actually takes place on federal land that's run by the BLM. Um, The org has a lobbyist in Congress, um, and they have to get a permit every year from the federal government Um, and so there are, and I, you know, from some of the perspective of someone who actually has worked the event, so been one of those people who's out there for two months, building the thing, tearing it down. Um, there's been sort of more and more rules imposed. Um, the department of public works, you know, now they make people, the managers go to OSHA training and there was actually an NLRB case when someone tried to unionize the DPW. Um, (laughs) I, I'm not making this up. So like, as the, the sort of popularity of the event is increasing, And the size of the event is increasing and the permit is increasing. There's sort of been more and more government enroachment. But at the same time, a lot of the rules that are imposed on us, you know, um, uh, like someone passed away, unfortunately, in an accident um, who was helping build Burning Man. And so then all of a sudden there's all these new rules. Someone fell off an art car, so now there's more rules for art cars. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about how like the libertarian ideals play off against the sort of federal government involvement in the organization?
1: Well, I I talked to uh, Zinke, the head of the Interior Department, uh, prior to this last uh, Burning Man, and he did not know the story of how previous... departments had extorted money out of Burning Man, you know, get us a truck, get us this, get us that, Did get us um, five different kinds of cereal and 24- 24... Chocolate, Chocolate tacos. and 24-7 ice cream <clears throat> for all the government employees. And then they all show up, all these Park Service guys from all around the uh, planet, um, uh, to be at Burning Man because they want to be at Burning Man, not because there's anything for them to do. And then they write stories. Noxious memos about how they manage the place um, because that gives them a role in messing with other people's lives. Um, and I was promised by uh, Zinke and I'm told that they kept their commitment, which is they have a new policy uh, at the Department of Interior, which is no extortion anymore. Um, so if you want to do something on federal property, they don't extort you for that now. Uh, whereas before, they did. Um, and Burning Man was just, one of the groups that they extorted money from. But uh, so we may get them to back off a little bit and hopefully as long as Zinke's there, we can continue that process to where it becomes a rule for them so that doesn't happen again. That they got in trouble in the Interior Department, the memo they wrote about what they were extorting uh, was shared with the local newspapers and that was embarrassing to Senator Reid and the Department of Interior. So they backed off a little bit, but not enough. So, uh, yeah, we just, you know, guys, there's nothing for you to do here, okay? Um, Back off, go someplace else. Um, Go annoy people in Wyoming. Um, So, so step by step.
2: My my understanding is that at least, right, separating the government-level rules from the rules of Burning Man, for example, speed limits, I mean, just having the grid itself, right? The grid was created, I think, in after 97 when Are you talking about a power grid no the, the grid of the streets yeah Street. um was created in 97 because somebody rode their car into a camp seriously injuring several people somebody ran over someone's tent yeah uh, and killed
1: them so yeah that's why we have streets now yeah, yeah. and and so we thousands know. of people out there with vehicles and not streets this is okay, i think that this question and whenever you hear Larry Harvey and guys go back. Every time there was a decision between the anarchists and the libertarians, the libertarians won. Um, when they were the cops came down or the soldiers came down and said, please don't burn the Burning Man on the beach this year right there because it's very dry and it could you know, burn down the Presidio and that would be nice if you wouldn't do that. Um, and then part of the, I'm told, part of the group said, as soon as the cops go, we burn it down, and the other guys say, we don't have to burn it now here, we could burn it, but you know we can move it someplace else. So there was no reason to pick that fight. And then when they decide maybe we should have roads, okay, um, that's not a huge imposition, they sort of laid out the roads, and then you can be someplace other than the roads when you park camps and so on. Uh, and so I think you get these gradual, reasonable rules, and it took about three years for them to move the, the noisy camps. Out more. Um, and to, to come up with the interesting idea that perhaps the noisemaker should point away from where everybody's sleeping instead of into the camp. This is, okay. Um, which, okay, now, okay, we're going to have a rule like that. We can, okay. Um, but, but every time I, do, I run into one of the Burning Man rules, they, they come around, they, they, Evidently, they came together over time and somewhat organically. And perhaps you would have said, well, that should have been pretty easy to decide on day one. But they didn't in order to impose it on everybody on day one. Um, And so you get reasonable rules and not that many. um, And people can live with them, except for the ban on firearms, which we're going to have to fix someday.
0: (laughs) Uh, So that actually brings me to a really interesting question from Christopher Chobin on Twitter. And he tweets, um, Burning Man tends to create quite complex governing structures. Would you consider that antithetical to the libertarian thought on small government?
1: No, because I think it's light touch. And it, it, if your town was run the way Burning Man is, you would... Um, it, the, the, you know, the Department of Public Works and stuff, I mean, part of it's a joke, right? I mean, the, the, they don't actually give you permits for certain things. So the they can pretend you're supposed to get them. I, I think it's light touch. It's smaller. It's light touch. Um, I wish city governments were that light, light touch in in terms of let's not hurt each other and otherwise do what you want to
5: do.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, and uh, you, you're being sort of ruled with these rules by people who are like you, who have you know similar goals as you, people, people who are participating like you. So the incentives are sort of aligned to like, not ruin things. It's not like some sort of... Uh, distant and disinterested, like, council of people. It's like, oh, that'd be nice to have this kind of rule. It's like, no, you, they have to mull it over because, I mean, like, like they're not yeah, going to have... Exactly, down. yeah.
1: There's no 51% of the population <laughs> telling 49% of the population what to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, yeah, and presumably there's different rules within each of the little camps.
1: The yeah, camps have their own too, rules right. or not. Yes, yeah. Who's going to cook? Who's going to do what?
4: Right, I, yeah. I think it's too soon to say. I, I mean, um... You know, tyranny comes maybe sometime, maybe never, I don't know, I I, I agree that so far it seems light touch, but um, I don't know, do, do we have enough of a track record to really say that this is some method of sustainably avoiding um, what we're talking about? I, I don't know. I the United States
1: worked long. for the first 30 years and then it went downhill, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Burning Man will have the same problem.
0: Um, any other questions from our studio audience? Yes. Nope, you. So
7: I have a comment and then a question. The first comment
0: okay, let's is that. Try to keep it short, though.
7: I will keep it very short. The first comment is that, as you know, there are a lot of regional burns, and some of them are areas that aren't like Silicon Valley. And so my comment is here that. Here in
0: DC?
7: Uh, here in DC, but I'm from the Midwest, so like rural Missouri. And I think you would see a lot more um, diversity of political viewpoints and regional burns like that. And then my question, um, as Burning Man has scaled up, it has imposed more rules on itself. As Monster mentioned, you have more and more um, safety accidents that lead to more regulations. Do you think that it's necessary that with greater populations uh, come a greater degree of necessary rules?
1: No. I think the more complex and diverse a society, the fewer rules you want because there are fewer things everybody agrees on. You know, in certain structures, everybody's going to be this religion and that that seemed to work fine for a thousand years in certain areas, but not if not everybody buys into that. You know, that can't be a rule if you're going to have people with widely different views. So I think that... Um, the the more people you have, and the more diversity in the population, the fewer rules that are, can, the fewer rules people can live without guns behind them.
2: So I, I would disagree. To Bad an guns, extent. government
1: guns, not the nice guns that we have.
2: <laughs> I, I think right in in small societies, you you can differentiate between right rules and norms, or or what Hayek calls laws and legislation. Right, legislation being sort of imposed top down and laws being this natural emergent order. And in small societies you can have a lot of these, right? You don't need a lot of legislation because the laws work fairly well, that you can have these bottom-up norms which govern interaction. But as society grows, I mean to an extent, I think there is a need for some legislation. And for example, we can imagine right, flamethrowers. If you have a group of a thousand people, you've got five people with flamethrowers Everybody knows who they are, and they can figure out, right, who's burning things a little bit too close to the tents. (laughs) When you've got 70,000 people and you've got 300 people with flamethrowers, it might be a little bit more difficult to find out, right, who's who's blowing fire too close to the tents. And so because of that, you might need to sort of create this rule that says, okay, if you have a flamethrower, you could have to burn fire at least 20 feet away from the tents. Um, and, and I think that, right, and so differentiating between, right, what, what are these rules and what are these norms and at what level of, of size do we want to impose these different types of governance to ensure that the society can be as healthy as possible?
3: Yeah, and I think it's important to distinguish between, you know, diverse and the, you know diversity in the sense that you find it within Burning Man and then, you know, diversity, you know, writ large. Like, there's a difference between, you know, a Southern Baptist fundamentalist who wants to go to Burning Man and then one who doesn't. So you're never going to find, you know, people who... Like, in every every community where people just can't opt out of, like, that's where they live, you're going to have, you know, one guy sitting on his porch yelling for kids to get off his lawn, or like, even when they're, like, on the sidewalk or whatever. <laughs> that won't happen in Burning Man because that person won't go. So and I, I think I agree with Mark that... Um, you know, I, I, I can't exactly agree with Grover here. Um, you know, if, if you just randomly threw people together and it's like, all right, do Burning Man stuff, um, <laughs> you would need you would need tyranny. You know, I think with Socrates who, who like mentioned this, like, yeah, as you you know have more people who don't agree on stuff together, as norms become more fragmented, you need like there needs to be like that, like it sucks, but like tyranny is the result of that because otherwise things like the machine will not function. Um, sorry for my voice um, I wondered if uh, you had mentioned some things about the Rangers and um, I think that something you kind of lightly touched on but I think would be more interesting to hear about is the fact that they're a um, moderative and a um, kind of very community focused in and of the community um, organization um, and if you I, I kind of just want to hear you talk more about that sort of like method of policing not as being police, but of as sort of like maintaining the norms and, and sort of safety and structure of the community? Um, I mean, the, the sort of purpose is to almost keep you, I mean, because there are cops there, you know, there's, I think there's Nevada State Police, there's BLM people doing whatever they do. You know, a, a lot of them, their job is to like pretend to be burners, but then like try to bust you for Doing something illegal. I mean, because the law still exists in the desert. We're still in the United States, and you know, this, they try to enforce those laws even though people don't want to follow them. Um, so, know yeah, the, the point of rangers is, is to sort of you know create insulation between those people trying to sort of enforce laws no one cares about, and then the people trying to avoid the laws. So, yeah, it, they exist kind of as a buffer zone. Um, you know, to prevent police from being involved in anything.
1: Do do we have a ranger here? Yeah, because there are some people who sent notes. Um, Does the ranger want to answer that question?
6: So, um, I'm ranger hashtag. Um, (laughs) One of the things that I think is... uh, actually really beautiful about the Rangers of Burning Man and why I joined is that there's a sense in which there's this principle of radical self-reliance, which means you show up, you bring your own supplies, you build your own camp, you take care of your own needs. And what we see in the level of the community, that the community takes care of itself. There's a lot of things that a community can handle on its own. You've got two people arguing over where the boundary is. You've got the guy who comes in with the sledgehammer. You know, there hasn't been any violence committed. There hasn't been any crimes committed. you got people who are upset, and they need to take a chill pill and calm down. Maybe not a literal chill pill, but, you know, <laughs> they need to calm down. And actually, the, the most important thing about Rangers from a libertarian perspective is our job on the playa is to remind everyone else— that they have agency, that they have the power to resolve their own problems and to get their needs met. Everybody has that power. Every human being has that power. And if we're out there reminding them of that, you know, our job isn't to create a buffer between the people and law enforcement. Our job is to remind them that they don't actually need it. And that, you know, if we're doing our job well, what happens with law enforcement is that the need for them is just dramatically less than what we have in the default world. So, you know, I see that as a real beautiful thing. It's it's a kind of a minimalist approach to law enforcement. Now, you know what? The Rangers are the first people to, because we're out there with radios, that's the other thing we've got. So we've got a radio. Communication on the playa is not easy. So if you're out there with a radio, uh, somebody's somebody's got an injury, you can call for the EMTs, the real, you know, doctors, paramedics, and they're there in a flash. If there's uh, situation of, uh, you know, theft or a sexual assault or non-consensual violence. Sometimes the difference between consensual violence and non-consensual is a little hard to tell. But uh, if there's a situation like that, you know, law enforcement is there as needed. But the situations that require, you know, an authority are minimized. The Rangers don't have any authority. The only thing we have is social capital. It's because we've earned trust from people that sometimes they'll... Ask our advice.
3: Great. Thank yeah, you so much. It's, it's remarkable how little, you know, crime or bad things going on there are. Like, you know, even injuries. Uh, you know, considering the circumstances that, you know, it's just pretty much a bunch of people going to the desert for a week who don't know each other. Um, like, the, the, I don't know, I, I wish any of the statistics, but, you know, very low. Like, a couple people over its entire existence, you know, and every year 70,000 people have have died. Um but I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, if you just kind of look at it, if you just learn about it for, from the first time with a naive perspective, you'd expect it, it all to be way higher.
0: So uh, we're, we're closing in on time, unfortunately. Um, okay, fine. Yes, we'll go with your question. <laughs> so
5: My question is, does it work because everybody is kind of the same? You know, everyone is... That you know, a privileged,
7: probably, you know, white, middle-class, upper-class person, and so that's why it works, and it's so homogeneous that uh, people kind of, you know, their, their whole intention is the same, and their backgrounds
1: are the same, and maybe it's not as diverse as, you know, the real world, and that's why it works.
0: I actually, I'm glad you asked that because I wanted
5: to tie it. Robert's
1: mom. (laughs) Mom.
0: (laughs) Um, So I wanted to tie that to two other questions, very similar that we got from Twitter as well. Um, Sharon Golden asked, "Does the panel feel the need to feel that the cost to attend Burning Man precludes certain diversity and radical inclusion?" And Jr. Nexus Rust asks, leaving open the interpretation of what diversity means, can you ask how the diversity or the lack of diversity at Burning Man reflects the diversity or lack of diversity within the libertarian movement? So, all three of those together, feel free to respond to some or all
1: of them. On the first one, there is an effort to um, get discounts for folks who couldn't otherwise afford to go, and I don't know what the numbers are on that, but that you see it written up and that it's available, and They make tickets available at lower prices for people who couldn't do it otherwise. Uh, So there's an effort on that zone. Uh, They do this uh, census thing where they ask everyone. So they keep these numbers. I never fill out census, because I never fill out any censuses, (laughs) even the Burning Man census. Um, But uh, they do have some numbers on, I mean, how many Canadians and stuff like that.
6: Do
5: you mind using pink? Um, sure. Um, but looking at the charts from 2016, uh, for example, oh, I just lost it now. 22 um, percent of the respondents, um, their income was zero to twenty five thousand um, dollars, and the next bracket up, twenty five to fifty thousand dollars, is another 21 percent of the population. Um, so, if you you know, there's a lot stereotype that this is all like one percenters. Actually. Um, the 300,000 plus is only 3.4% of the population. Um, So maybe they are slightly overrepresented, uh, but not a whole lot. I will say in terms of other diversity though, um, the, it is pretty, I'm struggling to pull up the number here, but um, it is pretty overwhelmingly white. Um, Let's see. White respondents are 79%. Um, So it depends on what kind of diversity you're talking about, but. Yeah, this is all online.
0: Thanks, Kate. Can you actually send me that link later on? Sure. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah,
3: and um, so I, I think the, like, part of this answer is that libertarianism is a middle class white phenomenon. Liberalism.
0: I disagree,
5: but
3: okay. Uh, <laughs> liberalism, in the very broad sense, and like you know, the revolutions of 1848 sense, that was a that was a middle class European phenomenon. You know, the French Revolution. That's a French phenomenon. Liberalism writ large is like kind of a, a, a white person thing. Classical liberalism, social liberalism, um, and in fact, you know, uh, so, someone made a good point about this, and this is related to you know uh, the diversity of Burning Man. Esteemed philosopher Nick Land, who has uh, <laughs> who has who has written uh, for a magazine, he, he made a, he made an article about this, and that you know the the sort of impulse towards inclusivity of liberalism you know, that might spell uh, a problem for it, you know. And, and, you know, I put libertarianism under the sort of umbrella of liberalism. Um, you know, if, if, like, what happens Classic, when...
1: Classical liberalism? Sure,
3: classical yeah. Tradition. And so, you know, social liberalism, classical liberalism. So <clears throat> what happens when your liberalism results in, you know, suddenly taking in new people who don't like liberalism? And so I think the same thing could be said about Burning me. I don't think it's... I don't think you you could say it's necessarily a problem about, uh, you know, the diversity or lack thereof. I think that's just people who select for their own sensibilities, and that's why it works.
0: Uh, So on that note, I'm afraid we don't have time for any more questions, Uh, but I am going to ask all of you um, in just one sentence to sum up what you would like everyone to take from this panel.
1: Uh, Burning Man should be on your bucket list. You may decide that it's more than something you wanna try once. Uh, I can't imagine not going each year unless something weird happens schedule-wise. But that wasn't what I expected when I said, I will go once, this is something I should do um, once. Uh, So go once and then see if you wanna keep coming.
2: I was gonna say the same thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's okay. He took See, the there's a lack he of is. diversity
2: <laughs> in this whole... See you on the playa,
1: 2018.
3: <clears> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's honestly, the same thing. I, I my expectation. Like, I Mark was always talking about. It. I was like, All right, I gotta go to Burning Man, and so I built it up in my head. But then it was like better when I went. Um, and you know. Um, and, I, and like I said before, I think the thing to take out of it is, you know, it's not, isn't anything about, like, debauchery or partying, partying hard. It's, uh, you know, this presents a hope of how people will live when restraints are removed, how they'll want to live. And it's something that's, like, warm and human. Um, and also, yeah, definitely go. Uh, and if you're trying to get a ticket, you need to, like, click the buy button within, like, 30 seconds of it opening. I think I got one of the... Yeah, I know. We had to get one from people in our camp, so, yeah.
1: Could, could I add one thing? And <laughs> <laughs> just, Burning Man is the one thing I've done that was more than I expected. When I went to the Louvre, I expected a bunch of paintings on the wall that were very impressive. They were, okay? Um, maybe Petra was more, was more than I thought it was going to be, but Burning Man is up there. It is, it, it is more deeper, bigger, different... Than I expected better. Um, you can go to a lot of places, you know, the Grand Canyon, it's a big hole in the ground, it's very pretty. Okay, I, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't any more than I thought it was going to, you know, the, yes, it, it was great, it was great, it was great. Um, but, but Burning Man was more than I had thought it could possibly be, and I don't know how you prepare yourself completely to not be overwhelmed.
2: So when I brought. Rob, we were out one night, and this double-decker unicorn with a pink horn blows fire out of it, and Rob goes, that's a mediocre art car. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it was. All the other ones are better than that, believe it or
4: not.
0: And Jeremy, did you have anything you wanted to add?
2: Uh,
4: I, would, I would just say that um, it's kind of a running joke when people ask, describe Burning Man. Uh... And I I would just say don't think that you can understand what it is from a panel or some YouTube videos or, like, what, the eight articles that are written about it out there. Um, You just... we Some of the words we're using here mean things, but they mean things because we can wink at each other and we know what we mean when we say it. And, like, if you haven't been... I, I can't wink at you, and you're just hearing the English words that I'm saying. Um, so uh, the, the only way to know what it is really is to go and see it.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Well, we're actually slightly over time. So um, on that note, thank all of you for coming and for everyone who's tuned in online and our conference team here who's worked really hard on this event and all of our panelists. Uh, For those of you here in the studio audience, I hope you'll join us uh, for a reception in Cato's Winter Garden and continue this conversation. And for the rest of you, please stay tuned to the Cato Digital hashtag. We'll have more awesome events. Thank you.